Is that good? Uh, first, I wanted to say good morning, family. It's been uh, way too long since we've been blessed to see y'all, and uh, it's great, great to be here and see your faces. I want to thank uh, John for asking me to speak in his place this morning. Appreciate that. Uh, thank Franklin for the prayer. Uh, mentioning me. Uh, I always need those, and I appreciate that very much. I also wanted to say uh, thank you on behalf of me and my family uh, for your very strong and continuous, consistent support with your prayers and your uh, finances that you've helped us with. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the gift that, that y'all sent us at the end of this year, uh, it's hard to tell you. It's Thank you. This morning, I um, want to study for a little while about Joseph. In this study, I'd like to say that as we go through this, uh, if your toes are stepped on, I want you to know that this lesson uh, is speaking to me first and foremost. I mean, I need this lesson continuously because it speaks to challenges that we all face periodically throughout our lives. Uh, now, we're not going to cover all these chapters. We don't have time for that. But I uh, strongly encourage you to spend some time in Joseph because there's so many valuable lessons there to be learned. But we're going to concentrate on a couple of different ones uh, as we go through the study this morning. The first thing we're told there about Joseph there in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 2, the scripture reads, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, those of you who have siblings can probably relate to this. Joseph was telling on his brothers, his older brothers. Now, uh, you, I have two younger siblings. Many of you know them. Uh, they told on me all the time, and I got tanned. Many, many times. Deservingly so, most of the time. But that's the first thing we're told about Joseph. Secondly, there in, in uh, verse 3, chapter 37, verse 3. Now Israel, well, Israel is another name uh, <clears throat> for Jacob. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Now, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind when I read this is, uh, first of all, this man loved this boy a bunch to make him a coat. He was a very special child. Perhaps even you could say it was the father's favorite child. The second thing that comes to mind is I remember riding to church in Allison every Sunday morning, and my mom and dad had an eight-track tape player, if any of y'all remember those. And oftentimes, they would have Dolly Parton in there singing the Code of Many Colors, which is very, very loosely based on this. 
Uh, but as it may be, we'll move on there in chapter, in verse 4 it says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And then uh, he had a, uh, some dreams, Joseph did. And in these dreams, uh, he dreamed that his brothers bowed down to him. And also his mother and father bowed down to him in these dreams. And his brothers did not like that. It uh, enlivened their jealousy and their hatred. There in verse 11, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed these sayings. You see, this younger brother, they thought, man, he, he's full of himself. That we're going to bow down to him? You know, one of the characteristics of sin, when it is unrepented of, when we don't turn away from it, is it breeds more sin. Do you see how this hatred that Joseph's brothers had for him has grown into jealousy? Well, it's going to continue to grow as we read. And the scripture speaks to this there in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 3. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. You see, because sin does not exist in a vacuum when it's unrepented of. It breeds more sin. Now, I want you to consider these works of the flesh that are spoken of in Galatians. Think about this. These works of the flesh. Now, some of us have had problems with things on this list. And I want you to think about that. When those problems went unrepented of, did it just stay that one thing? I know in my life it didn't. There in chapter 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, immolations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in the times past, they that which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Personally, when I was a young man, uh, you know, I had a problem with drunkenness. And it went unrepented of. Now, I'm not saying I didn't ask God to, for, uh, to forgive me. I asked him every night. But I didn't turn from it. I did not turn from it. And in that state, that drunkenness turned into revelings, strife, all different things. Sin breeds more sin when it's unrepented of. It's a characteristic of it. Now we go back to the story of Joseph here. There in Genesis chapter 37 and 19. The scripture is, And they said one to another, Behold, now, the father sends Joseph out to check on his older brothers to see what they're doing. He sends them out to check on them in a far pasture. And the brothers see him come, and the scripture reads, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Can you imagine that? Can you kids imagine conspiring with your brothers or sisters to kill one of your brothers or sisters? Can you imagine that? That, ha that is how much this sin has multiplied in their lives because it's unrepented of. 
Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. So they capture Joseph. They throw him in a pit. They take the coat that daddy made away from him. And then they sit down and start conspiring on what they're going to do next. There in at verse 26, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? So they conspire to sell him instead of killing him. Choosing the lesser of two evils, I guess. It's still sin. They betrayed their brother. Then there passed by Midianites, merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. They sold their little brother into slavery. Now, I'm going to tell you, me and my little brother, we got in plenty of fights. Plenty growing up. And a lot of y'all probably know that because y'all knew us. I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't think, I, I, don't, I never considered killing him. I wanted to hurt him, but never did that. And I don't think he ever considered that of me either, no matter how bad it got. But that's where these, these brothers have gotten. The cover-up. Now these older brothers want to cover up what they've done. There in verse 31, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it unto their father and said, this have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Now, why do we do this? When we do things that are wrong and shameful, why do we try to hide it? Especially from God. The all-knowing, all-powerful God. Why do we try to hide those things? You know, I remember the first time I can remember doing something that I thought, I knew it wasn't right. It's in my memory. In Allison, there used to be a little grocery store. And you go in there and get what you needed. You didn't even pay with money. You just went to the cashier there, little family grocery store, and you said, all this, it's, whose ticket's that going to go on? Red Dukes. Put that on Red Dukes' ticket. So they just write that ticket down on Red Dukes, and he'd pay for it. Well, I was sent to the grocery store to get some things, and I was specifically told not to get any candy. Well, guess what I did? I grabbed a handful of those, I can't remember if they was one cent or two cent bubble gums in a jar, and I put them in my pocket. Now, who do you think washed my clothes? The very person that told me not to buy candy. You see? You know... The nature of it is this. The things that we hide and do not repent of, most of the time will we be revealed to our family and, fr and, and friends in this life. They will, sooner or later. They come out. But those that don't, you best believe they're going to come out in the end. And I'm going to tell you something. I know that you're just like me in this fact. I do not want to be standing in that day before God and all the shameful things that I've done that I didn't repent of be recounted to me in front of you good folk and all of my other brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I don't want that to happen.
There in verse 33, the scripture reads, and, and this is talking about the father there, and he, and he knew it, and he said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Can you imagine the hurt that that man felt about the loss of his youngest boy who he had made that coat for? Jesus speaks on hidden sin. There in Luke chapter 12 and 2, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Brothers and sisters, we don't want no skeletons coming out in that last day because they will come out. Another characteristic of sin is a harvest, a harvest of sin. You know, oftentimes we think that sin only affects us. We're the only one that has to pay for it or suffer for it. Brothers and sisters, that is not true. The sins that we commit and do not repent of affect everyone around us. Our families, our friends, our loved ones, it affects them all. Sin does not exist in a vacuum. I would like you to consider a man who has been a drunkard for 30 or 40 years. He finds the Lord, and he gives his life to the Lord, and he tries to do right. Does that mean that his liver's not shot? Does that mean that his kids didn't sit there and watch him doing that and learn that type of behavior? Does it mean that his wife, that he put through all kinds of hardship, as all of a sudden just, he may not even have a wife anymore. Maybe he divorced because of this, this alcohol. You see, even though a sinner, when he repents and finds God, and he has a hope for heaven, a home in heaven, there's still a price to pay on this earth for our sins. God is not mocked. A man who goes out and robs banks and gets caught and gets sentenced to 25 years in prison, and he goes in there and uh, finds the Word of God and obeys the gospel and walks the walk, does that mean that he, has to, he doesn't have to serve any more time? Of course not. There's a price to pay. Galatians 6 and 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There is a price to pay. Now, like I say, we don't have enough time to go through this whole storyline, so we're going to fast forward a little bit and get to our last couple of points. Now, Joseph, I want you to consider this when speaking about his, other, his, his older brethren. Do you think that those older boys thought that they were going to have uh, Joseph uh, over 20 years separated from his whole family? You know, two, two in prison, 13 years as a slave? I don't know, probably not. They probably didn't care. They wouldn't have sold him into slavery. Do you think they thought about their father, how much he was going to hurt? The Scripture reads in, in some translation that he sorrowed unto death. Do you think they meant to hurt their father like that? 
Probably not. Probably didn't think about it until they had already done it. Do you think they considered the pain that they were going to cause their family and friends because of what they perceived had happened? Probably not. Do you think that they considered that they would have to live for years with this guilt and shame? Do you think that they, would, they ever thought about the shame that they would have in telling their father what they had done? Do you think they ever thought about the fear of being paid back by Joseph, their little brother? I don't think they thought about any of that. Don't think they did. Now, Joseph, as the story, we fast forward through the story there in chapter 41, he becomes a ruler. Now, those of you that are familiar with the story of Joseph, when he's sold into slavery, uh, he's lied about, <laughs> he's sent to prison, and through this whole series of events, the Scripture keeps telling us that God is with him. He is with him. God is with him. God, Joseph was a humble man. He was very humble. He was very forgiving because God was with him. You know, there in he interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh in which there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh heeded these words that Joseph interpreted through the power of God for him. And Egypt was enriched greatly during those seven years of famine. People from all over the countryside came to Egypt to buy food. Because they were starving. During this time, Jacob sends his older boys to Egypt to get food. And I believe there was three trips in total. Sent them to Egypt to buy food. When they came the first time, they didn't recognize their little brother, but their little brother recognized them. He gave them food. He took care of them. I'm going to tell you, on that final trip, guess who came back with the older brothers to Egypt? And the whole family. Daddy. Daddy came back, and there was a joyous reunion, a joyous reunion. And Joseph gave his family a very, very rich holding in Goshen, and they prospered greatly. Joseph took care of them. Joseph took care of these older brothers that had wronged him so. And finally there, in chapter 49... Jacob dies. Daddy dies. And that's where we want to pick up the rest of the story. There in chapter 50, verse 15, the reckoning. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Daddy's dead, and now our little brother, he's coming for payback. Can you imagine? <clears throat> there in verse 16, and I want you to notice this. These older brothers send a messenger. <laughs> they don't even go talk to him face to face. They send a messenger to their little brother. To me, that speaks to fear. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren, and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. 
And Joseph wept. Joseph wept. The fact of the matter is, is we all face this situation through our lives. You know, we do. I want to ask you something. Is it easier to forgive a stranger for wronging you? Or is it easier to forgive a family member that cuts you deep? It hurts you. Well, we all know the answer to that. It hurts. The wounds are deep. When our family members hurt us, and when I'm talking about family members, first, most, first and foremost, I'm talking about our true family, the church. Those things cut deep, and those things are hard. They are hard to deal with. I don't have this on the PowerPoint. If you would like to turn with me, I want to lead, read this uh, passage of Scripture there in Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35. <clears throat> this is when Peter comes to Christ to ask some questions of him. There in verse 21, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? Man, I can really relate to Peter here. How many times I got to forgive this guy? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is the debatable point on how much this was. But let's just suffice it to say that this servant could not repay this money in 10 lifetimes. It was unpayable debt. Unpayable. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This servant couldn't pay that debt back, but he begged him, I'll pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Does that sound familiar? Each and every one of us here have or had an unpayable debt that only one thing will pay, pay that debt, and that's the blood of Christ. But the same servant went out, this is the one that had been forgiven, and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Nothing. I mean, very, very little. Something that could be paid back in a matter of a few days. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down on his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he would not, but he went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and come and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. 
So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Forgiveness is a life and death issue. And not life and death on this earth. The true life and death. It is either a yes or a no. There's no gray area. You know, about six or seven years ago, my wife was managing the family restaurant there in Panhandle, and she came home, it was a Saturday evening, and she was bawling. Now, those of you that know my wife, that is, that doesn't happen very often, and uh, if it's going on, it's, it sends up all kinds of alarm bells and red flags and fireworks in my mind. So, to make a long story short, her father, the owner of this establishment, fired her and said a bunch of very bad things to her that I cannot repeat. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what my desire was. My desire was to go right then, get this man, and burn him down with my tongue. You're not going to speak to my wife that way. You're not going to disrespect her. And you're not going to disrespect me. You hear, you hear what I'm saying there? A little pride there, ain't there? You're not going to disrespect me. You know, I stayed up all night that night thinking about what I was going to do to this man. The next morning, I had to be in Colorado to preach. I got dressed, headed out towards sandy soil, and I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to get up and preach to brothers and sisters in Christ when I've been sitting here thinking about this stuff all night? So guess what I did? I picked up the phone and called a brother for some help. And that brother, you know what he did? He prayed. He prayed for me. He prayed for my wife, my family. But do you know who he prayed for the most? My father-in-law. <laughs> you know, that's when I realized that all this time that had gone on, all these years, where this man had been pulling stunts, smaller stunts similar to this, that I'd said over and over in my mind, I forgive him, I forgive him, I forgive him. I realized in that moment that I had never forgiven him. That was just a thought that I had. I'd never prayed for him. I'd never done good to him. You see, I had never forgiven him. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It is a true life and death decision. You know, I learned something very valuable from the Lord through my brother in Christ that day. I learned about praying for my enemies. And I tried to put that into practice. Tried to put it into practice very, very much. Do you know when I first started praying for my father-in-law, you, you know what it sounded like? 
Heavenly Father, please bless Ralph. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. That's all I could get out. But I kept thinking about all the bad things that I'd done in my life and all the family members that I'd hurt and embarrassed. And I thought about how Christ had forgiven me for all that. Yet, here I am holding this man to account for something so little. I mean, it's not little in our minds, but compared to, to what I've been forgiven of. There's no comparison. No comparison. Back to the story there in Genesis of Joseph. Joseph gives his answer to his brethren. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God made it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nurse you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You see, forgiveness is just not a thought. Forgiveness is just not a thought. It's just not words. Forgiveness, just like many, many other uh, attributes of Christianity, are actions. They are actions. Christians are people of action. We are people of action. You see, Joseph, he forgave his brethren, and he nourished them. He took care of them. Matthew chapter 5 and 43 you have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That's what the scripture says. Love your enemies. Now does that mean that we have warm, fuzzy, touchy, feel-good feelings about people that are hurting us and our family? That's not what that means. Love is an act of will. It is a service to God. It is doing and praying and hoping for the best for our enemies. You know, many of you are aware of this. Uh, you know, God changes people's hearts and minds if they apply themselves and follow his direction. Uh, all I did was pray for my, my father-in-law. And you know what? Those, father, those prayers progressed into not to, to really, really serious prayers. I wanted the best for him. And you know what? My father-in-law's attitude and his combativeness uh, toward us, it changed. Uh, you know, when COVID first uh, made its appearance, Shortly thereafter, uh, my father-in-law was sent home on hospice. He didn't have COVID, but he had uh, terminal cancer. And he still had his mind. And I remember sitting there talking to him the, la the very last time I talked to him, the day before he died. And uh, I just told him, Ralph, we love you, you know. He returned that. Uh told me how happy that I was here to take care of his daughter. I'll tell you, <laughs> that's the power of God. So, as Christians, 
as men and women of God, we need to seize every opportunity. Every opportunity for forgiveness. To forgive folks. Especially our loved ones. Our loved ones. Our family. Our family. Now, you know, some folks that we forgive are not going to care one way or another. They're not. And as a matter of fact, some folks will be angry that we forgave them. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's more about the forgiver than it is the one that's forgiven when it comes between a human and a human. It's about our hearts. It's about our hearts. If we're capable of being Christ-like and forgiving just as Christ forgave us. Let's seize every opportunity. Matthew 5 and 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. There is always room for forgiveness. Always room for forgiveness. There in 1 John 1 and 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please get out your songbooks. <clears throat> what was that number again? 856, thank you. <clears throat> we never want to close without giving an invitation. A lot of times we treat this as just routine. It should never be routine. It should never be routine. This is a true invitation from God. It's not from Jim Hayes. This is from God. An invitation. If you have not been forgiven for your sins, if you have not uh, believed, repented, confessed the name of Christ and been buried in baptism, we stand ready to assist you. The Lord will do all the work. If you are here this morning and you're a Christian and you have a bitter root of unforgiveness in your heart, and you would like us to assist you in prayer, we would love to do that. That's what we're here for. We're not here to embarrass anybody. We all fail. We all need help from time to time. Let the Lord rip that root out of your heart. Rip it out. Root and stem. Be free of it. Forgive. If we can help in any way, please come forward and have a seat as we stand and sing.